Thank you, Shane. Good morning, Stonebridge. I'm glad to see that you all, or at least all of you that are here, survived the Arctic blast this past weekend. These are the these are the days and the weeks where I wonder if God truly has called me to Iowa. Remembering that my wife used to live in Southern California, and that sounds so much better right now than negative degrees for days and days and days, but yes, God has truly called me here, so I'll suck it up and just be here. I love this area. I love Boone. I love Iowa, and I just like to joke about it. I'm hoping that the year 2018 is already starting off well. We're only seven days into it, so hopefully it hasn't gone too horribly already yet, but if it has, I pray that it can make a turn for the better and you can have a better 2018 than your 2017. I hope that's always the situation for you as every year can just get better and be closer to Jesus. Last week, Matt preached and he did an introduction into the book of Corinthians for us. And I want to encourage all of you, if, if you weren't here or you haven't had the time to go back and listen to that, to go do it. Because Matt did an, an amazing job just kind of laying out the whole book of Corinthians for us and where we're going and, and what Paul is doing and, and, and where he's coming at in this church. Um, it really just helps us to understand what we're going to dig into in the next few weeks. Um, he also talked about you know, wanting to show the importance of, of uh, reading and studying. And he challenged us to read through 1 Corinthians. And so I'm positive that you all have done that. You've all read through 1 Corinthians at least once already. And that, yeah, no. I think he said something like, if you can read, if you can listen to it on your Bible app, if it's on two times, you can get through it in like 29 minutes. So, I mean, you can do that while... You take a shower and brush your teeth. So that's just a little, maybe, maybe not. Um, Matt really showed us how messed up the Corinthian church was. And you can guarantee that as we dig into this book of Corinthians, if you did read it or if you know anything about Corinthians, you can guarantee that Paul's really going to start dealing with those issues, those problems that are in the Corinthian church. One by one, he is going to address the issues really messed up things like drunkenness in the church. They're getting drunk off of the communion wine. Divisions on which preacher was better. We would never do that in our churches, right? Church leaders committing incest. Things like idolatry, adultery, gluttony, divorce. These are just a few of the things that the Corinthian church liked to dabble in. All things that we could have never imagined would appear in American church, right? Uh, on a local church, that kind of stuff would just never happen in a church nowadays. Those, those kind of things were only reserved for hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, right? Today we start the book, and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 through 9. So if you want to just head over there, we can, we'll spend all of our time in those passages today. I'm not going to jump around like I tend to do. I'm going to stay planted in those verses today. But as you head over there, I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine that you are the Apostle Paul and that you are writing to this church in Corinth. Now, they've been writing back and forth, like Matt said. This isn't the first letter that he's received from them. They've been asking the questions about some of the stuff popping up in the church. 
And so he, and he's hearing what's going on. And so I want you to imagine how you would write a letter to a church full of this much sin and how you would start that letter. Think about when you've had to correct someone who you know has been making grievous mistakes. Someone who you have shown and taught the correct way over and over again on how to do it right. Someone who just seems to keep making the same mistakes over and over again. I know how I would probably start a letter like that. Listen here, you pathetic little heathen. Sit down and buckle up because I'm about to give you the verbal beatdown like you have never felt before. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of this mess. I don't even want to talk to you people anymore. This is ridiculous. Why are we still having this conversation? You keep making the same mistakes. Oh, that's, that's me, though. I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's not all of you. Remember, though, that this is the same Paul who was traveling from town to town killing Christians before he got saved. Paul is known for being very passionate and opinionated. He doesn't he, he wears his emotions on his sleeve and he comes right at people. He's been known to stand in front of sahedrins and, uh, and councils and, and yell at them. So he doesn't pull his punches too often when he's fired up. Follow along with me as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 1. We'll see just how Paul starts this letter to the Corinthians. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, that isn't exactly what I was expecting. Every time I think about you people, every time when I think about you messed up failures in Corinth, every time I think about you, I give praise. I thank God for you. Really, Paul? You thank God for these failures? For these losers? Okay, Paul has lost it. He's been through a lot by this point. He's taken quite a few beatings, and his mind just isn't as clear as it used to be. That's probably what's going on here. He's just confused. Let me ask you, though. For those of you who have been verbally berated for your mistakes— how did you respond? When people come at you immediately with those beratings, how do you respond? 
there's an old saying that I think goes really perfectly with these first few verses. And it says, you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. If Paul would have started off by condemning them for their actions, just immediately from verse one starts screaming at them, most of the readers probably would have read much further. He probably wouldn't have gotten very far with them if in the first nine verses he's just screaming at them. So maybe he's just trying to start off nice, start off on a nice foot. But I think there is actually something deeper than Paul just wanting to start on a nice foot. I truly believe that Paul is, is thankful for these people, for, these, for this Corinthian church. We can see that as we dig into these verses. The first few verses we can see are the greeting. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ. As usual, Paul, with all of his letters, he starts off with this formal address of, of who he is. But this one is strange due to Paul's description of the messed up church. He starts off and he says, I am an apostle. An apostle translates as sent one. Paul was sent. The term apostle is very important in Paul setting up his authority when speaking to this church. To be an apostle, he had to have seen the risen Lord Jesus at some point and been specially commissioned by Jesus to do the work of spreading the gospel. And that happened in the book of Acts. We can read Paul seeing Jesus. Apostles were also men that were given special authority. Not all of the early first century believers were called apostles. It was just those 12 and then Paul. They were given special authority to develop the leaders in the upcoming church. They were the ones in charge of that multiplication, it going from more than just Jesus. This authority could not have been given by anyone but Jesus. And that authority would eventually end with the death of John after the Bible was written. But if apostle means sent one, what is, what is he sent for? Paul was sent specifically to the Gentiles, the, the non-Jews, to proclaim that the, the gospel, that the good news, that the Messiah had come and that salvation could be attained by the whole world, not just the Jews anymore. That was Paul's mission. And it also says that Paul is called by the will of God. Paul clearly understands that the work he was doing was from God. It wasn't just his own doing. It wasn't just his own desires. He often, in this letter and in almost every letter that he writes, he talks about his desires to go to a certain place or wanting to go back and visit the churches that he planted but Paul is so focused on God's leading that many times he, he doesn't get to go where he wants to go. The word called points to Paul's divine authority and mission. It was from God. So that's who Paul is, but who are the Corinthians? As we read and we see Paul's greeting towards the Corinthians, instead of referring to them as idiots or, or failures or losers, he refers to them as saints. That's what's really shocking. He knows what's going on, and he refers to them in the first couple of verses as saints. Now, this is not some sort of 
super spiritual saint like some may think of. Other churches believe that the title of saint can only be attained by those who have devoted their lives to some sort of special calling. They believe that saints are a higher class of Christian that we should all be looking towards. People like the apostles or people who have dedicated their entire lives to third world hunger relief in India. Somebody like that, that's a saint to some churches. But Paul is very clear here that he is referring to all true followers of Jesus. Over and over again, in in this letter and in all of Paul's letters, he says saints, he calls all true believers saints. If you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you also are a saint. And that's how he viewed the Corinthians. They were saints. Lastly, we see in the greeting that Paul points to Jesus. Jesus is the head of the Corinthian church. He is the head of Stonebridge Church. He is the head of every Bible-believing church in the world. Paul wrote this letter to address the questions that I said that the Corinthians had been sending to him, asking about marriage and divorce and communion and adultery and idolatry and what to eat and what not to eat. He was writing this to address all these questions they had been asking. He wrote it to set straight, set right a lot of the messed up stuff that Paul is hearing is going on in the Corinthian church. Deep spiritual problems were in the church. And in verses two and three, we see the foundational answers to the problems at Corinth. Verses two and three, to the church, in, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Since Jesus is the head of this church and every church, they and we do do not get to set the agenda for the way we want to behave when we come together. Some of the things, we, we can choose musical styles and preaching styles, but these questions that the Corinthians were asking were foundational questions. They don't, they don't get to choose the answers to those, and neither do we. How are we going to fix the problems in any church? Follow Jesus. That's the primary answer. The first question is not, not do, what do we want to do when we come together, Since Jesus is Lord, head, and master, the question needs to be, what what does he say about these things we are questioning? What does he say about marriage, divorce, communion, baptism? What does his word say? Over 75 times in this book of 1 Corinthians, Paul discusses the fact that Jesus is the Lord or master. 75 times in this book. This helps us to see how we will fix the issues, how he will fix the issues in this church, and we can fix the issues in any church. It's not about what Joey says or Matt says or anybody else that gets up here and preaches. It's not about what any of us say. It's about what God's word says. We're not following men or what men expect us to do to fix our lives. We're, we're following what God says and what Jesus and his commands say. And his commands are meant to give us life and free us from the bondage of sin. This is the the theme that Paul is setting up here in the greeting. He's saying who he is. He is the Apostle Paul called to lead the church. Who are the Corinthians? They are God's people who are saved by grace. 
And who is Jesus? He is the Lord and head over all followers in every church. This is setting that stage. Paul is pointing the fact that he has been given authority from Jesus to tell them right from wrong. It's not just him, it's Jesus. It's very unlikely that this is the way they thought that Paul was going to start the letter. But we have to see that he is focused on the faithfulness of God and the grace that has been poured out. And we move from this section on his greeting and him referring to them as saints and starting off very gently and speaking highly to, of these messed up people. It's something that's even more confusing. The start of verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you. How in the world can Paul be thankful? I don't know if I could be thankful for these people especially with the connection that Paul had to this church. As we learned last week, Paul planted this church. He has a special connection to them. He's like a father and a son. If this was a church that I had planted, I don't even think I'd want to claim it. Please take my picture off the wall. Please don't put my picture on the record that I've ever been there. You people are too jacked up. I don't want that I don't want when I apply at other churches to have to claim this one. Please. Just pretend like you don't know me and I'll pretend like I don't know you. Please. You have a church leader sleeping with his mother-in-law. That's, what? That's so messed and you're okay with it. But Paul is thankful. Paul knows the grace that has been poured out on this church. And he knows that Jesus can transform each and every one of them. Paul is thankful because no matter how messed up this church is, they are, they're trying to follow Jesus. They're, they're trying. They're writing to Paul, asking how to fix things. They're trying to follow him. Just, they're just stumbling quite a bit. Paul is also thankful because he remembers his own messed up life. Paul often talks about his life before Jesus and the fact that he is so unworthy Later in, in this book of 1 Corinthians, Paul even says that. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 10 says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Paul never forgot how messed up he truly was, and that helped him to relate to those who were struggling in their sin. Some of you may have noticed that, um, some of you may have noticed, I got a new tattoo. (laughs) And what does it say? You're like, it just looks like a bunch of gibberish and weird things on it. It actually says, it's Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short the glory of God. And I got it in Greek. I got it in Greek because I know that Romans 3.23 can be fairly offensive. And I just put Romans 3.23 on my arm and people see it. They're either not going to want to talk to me because they're already Christians and they know it or they don't want to know that they're sinners and they're going to run from me. So I got it in Greek so people could actually ask me what it meant. Plus, I'm kind of a Bible nerd and that was part of it for me too. But it gives me the opportunity to tell a portion of my story. And why would I get such an offensive verse tattooed on my body. Shortly after I got saved, I wandered into a church and I was going to 
ask the pastor, yeah, I accepted Jesus, but my life is still a wreck. I'm still angry. I'm still an alcoholic. I'm still all of these things. How do I fix this mess in my life? And so Andrea said, you should go and you should talk to the pastor. So I did. And I went in there and I sat down with him and he started telling me about his life. His life of getting saved at four years old at a Billy Graham crusade. His life of feeling called to be in ministry from the age of like nine. Being a pastor for over 30 years. Perfect, holy, just godly man. So I started telling him my story. And I just started dumping everything on him. I told him about the adultery that I had committed. I told him about the alcoholism. I told him about the drugs. I told him about my anger. I just dumped everything that I had in my life on him. I was honestly trying to see if my mess would be too much for him. I was expecting him to say, it's too much. Get out of here, you wretched sinner. I can't deal with someone like you. He then quoted Romans 3.23 to me. He said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then he repeated it. And he said, I, Daniel Grell, sin every day and fall short of the glory of God every day. That just blew my mind. For a man that had grown up as a Christian most of his life and known that he wanted to be a pastor for more years than I had even been alive, for him to admit that to me, it just changed everything. I got this tattoo to remind myself that no matter where God takes me and no matter what I do for his glory, whatever he does through me, I am still a sinner in desperate need of his grace today just as much as I was eight years ago when I got saved. Never forget how messed up you were and you are. Your scars and your testimony are your story of grace. Even though Paul could remember his own messed up life, should it really have caused him to be thankful for these losers in Corinth? It will not take long for Paul to come down on the Corinthians for their behavior. I think by next week he's going to start calling out some of the mess. But he starts with thankfulness. He starts with grace. He is thankful because of the grace of God. Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Paul's thankfulness is rooted in Christ's faithfulness more than the church's failures. God is faithful. He says, you guys are crazy. You're out of control, but God is faithful. Paul is beginning this letter not focused on how screwed up they were, but with his eyes focused on the cross. Not on the foolishness of Corinth, but on the faithfulness of God. Every time Paul thinks about this messed up church in Corinth, he is moved to thankfulness and praise to God. Why? Because God is good and his grace is sufficient for these jacked up sinners just like it's sufficient for you and me. God is committed to his faithfulness. He sent his spirit, he sent his word, he sent his salvation to Corinth and he sent it to Stonebridge Church community of Boone and every Bible-believing church. Because of that, Paul is confident. He's confident these people may be messed up now, but Paul is confident in the transformational power of Jesus and his word. 
we are seeing in Paul's attitude, the, the atmosphere of grace that messed up people really need to change their lives. Before Paul ever gives a word of correction, and those words are coming soon, he starts with an atmosphere of grace. I read, as I read this passage and I researched, I instantly thought about my own life and how I often don't start with grace. I am not usually a very grace-oriented person to start with. I am very particular, and I am very obsessive at times, and I naturally want to fly off the handle when I feel like someone is in the wrong or that someone has wronged me personally. And a perfect example of that is I have, I have Star Wars toys. I mean collectibles. They're collectibles. They're not toys. They're collectibles. And I have these collectibles in my office. And I have them all sitting in exact same way, in an exact same order, with the good guys down below and the bad guys up here, and they're all perfectly in line with where they need to be. And you don't play with them because they're not toys, they're collectibles. We don't touch them, not even my children touch them. We look at them. I've had these toys, collectibles, since my last church. And my students at my last church knew that these were in my office. And most of the time the offices were locked up, but sometimes it wasn't. And they like to sneak in and move them around. They like to hide them all over my office and turn them. And that really frustrated me most of the time, but I just dealt with it. But one time they took it too far. We were having a fundraiser and a handful of them went missing. And I went looking for them, and sure enough, they're wandering out of my office. And I went running in there. They took off running, and I went in there. And my toys were all still there. But one of them was headless. <laughs> I was so angry, I couldn't even speak in that moment. Like, I just... I went back downstairs and I just threw it down on the counter and I said, I I don't know. Like I just, I couldn't even say the words. I couldn't say that I was showing grace in that moment by not condemning them and not screaming at them. But really inside I was just raging with anger and, and I couldn't scream at them because there was youth parents. We were doing a fundraiser. There was parents sitting around watching me. And there was church people just outside. And they would have heard me screaming possible profanities at these teenagers. And that would have probably been bad. I may not be here today. Just then, one of them pulls out the same bobblehead. The same exact one that was headless. He pulls out another one and it's perfectly together. So they knew about these, and they thought it was funny. They were going to mess with me. So he had actually ripped the head off of his at home, and then knew that I had it, and brought it in to switch them out. Oh, it was was good. They were just, they were trying to mess with me, and they were trying to see how I would handle this situation, because those that had been in my ministry long enough knew that I was this particular, and that I could fly off the handle. In that moment... I needed to show the grace that has been poured out on me. I can't imagine what my students and my parents would have thought if I would have shared 
all of the thoughts that were going through my mind at that time. (laughs) What the messed up church in Corinth needed was a letter that started with the grace of God, not a reminder of who they were and how messed up they were, not to be screamed at for the stupid things they had done. Only those who are truly humble can notice the evidence of the work of God's grace in those around them. The problem is not that my students had messed with my toys. The problem was the anger that was festering inside of me, the pride uh, in me that thought, how dare you mess with my stuff? Are the people who you lead more aware of the evidence of God's grace or their need to change? This is not just referring to ministry leaders. Parents, are your kids more aware of God's presence and God's grace or their need to try harder, to do better? Husbands, wives, are your spouses more aware of God's grace or their need to be better? Are the people who you bosses, are are your employees more aware of God's grace or their need to work harder, work longer, work faster? Are the people under your leadership more aware of God at work or their failure to do the work? We as Christians need to start showing an atmosphere of grace in order to be able to speak truth into people's lives. It is really easy for us to be critical about the people around us every day and the town we live in, but we can be just as messed up as they are. It's just a different kind of messed up. We need to start by showing our our neighbors, our, our children, our spouses, our coworkers the grace of God before we ever come to them with a word of correction. There may be a time that that is appropriate, but it's never in our opening statements. What is the purpose of showing grace to those around us who may be just as messed up and struggling as the Corinthian church? Verse 6, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, our goal is to make an invisible God visible to a watching world. When people see us what would be the conclusion that they come to about Jesus? If people walked around with me all the while, while I lived my life every day, what conclusions would they make about my Lord and Savior that I say that I follow? That's the most important question for us as believers. What you say about the community, your schools, your coworkers, that stuff matters. The way we talk about the people outside of these church walls matter, especially if we hope to make an invisible God visible to the town of Boone. When people see your Facebook posts or hear you talking in the the break room at work, they know that you're a Christian. So what conclusions can they make about Christ? We need to be showing the same thankfulness and grace to an unbelieving, watching community that Paul showed the Corinthians. Finally, in verses 8 and 9, we can see what many of us desire. Who will sustain? It says, Our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The Christian Standard Translation actually says that he will strengthen you to the end. This is pointed to our eternal security. 
that what Christ has started in us, no matter how messed up we were or are, if we continue to follow him, he will see us fully transformed. We have security that what God says in his word about us and about eternity is 100% true. The, the New International Standard Bible says that Paul guaranteed the Corinthian believers that God would consider them blameless when Christ returns. This guarantee was not because of their great gifts or their shining performance, but because of Jesus Christ, what Jesus Christ accomplished through his death and resurrection. All who have surrendered their lives to Jesus as their Lord will be considered blameless when he returns. Paul is thankful and gracious in the beginning of this letter because of God's faithfulness. His faithfulness that we will be perfectly sanctified in a new creation someday. That all believers will be free of sin and struggle someday in the future eternity. And you should also notice the way that Paul dwells on the name of his Savior in these verses. Nine times in nine verses he makes use of the name of Jesus. And he will do it again in the very next verse. Jesus is absolutely central. Paul lingers lovingly over the name of his Lord. This is why Paul can be thankful because of Jesus. I've, I've stated in the rest of this book, Paul will confront the sins and the messed up thinking in this church, but he starts with grace. So, how do we confront the sin we see in others? We start with grace. For those of you who are parents, I want you to think back to when your children took their first steps, right? You remember what that all looked like, right? You, you had that like two-handed wobble on the coffee table thinking that, and then they let go with one hand. They do that like one-handed wobble back and forth, and then they get up the nerve to let go, and it's kind of this controlled fall stumbling face plant. What were your first reactions? Oh my God, Jojo, get the camera, set him up on the coffee table. Maybe he'll do it again. We can get a video. Call your mom, call my mom, call my grandma, call the president. They all need to know he's walking finally. What kind of, what kind of parent would we be if when our children took those first steps, we criticized them? When they face plant, we just mock them. What are you doing? Get up. It's not that tough. Look. It's oh. <laughs> Whoa. Maybe it is that tough to walk. Wow. <laughs> none of us, none of us would even dream of doing that as parents. <sighs> but yet, but yet as Christians, we tend to do it often. We say things like, why can't they just get over their addictions? It shouldn't be that hard. I was, I was able to give up all of my addictions. They just, they just need to have more faith. They just need to pray more. I don't know if it's worth my time to deal with them anymore. They're just so messed up and so messy. I don't, it's just not worth my time and energy anymore. We need to learn to celebrate the baby steps in people's walk with Jesus to help pick them back up when they face plant so they can keep trying to walk with him. Praise God that you have been sober for one week. That's so great. You slipped and you messed up this past weekend. 
I'm still thankful for the work that God has done in you to this point. Let's get up and let's try to make it a little bit further next time. We at Stonebridge need to help people in our connection groups, in our church, and the community around us to be reminded that God is at work in their lives and that they can feel the atmosphere of grace that Paul is showing to the Corinthians. An atmosphere of grace creates the condition for obedience in Christ to take root. We need to pursue holiness and we need to call out sin, but even more, we need to show them the grace that was shown to us. You broken, messed up people who are here today, welcome. That is all of us here at Stonebridge. We are all broken, messed up people clinging to an amazing Savior. He saves sinners and pursues the lost. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I pray that you can leave today singing the words in those songs. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for all that you do.